pleasure for me to be with you today and to share in this important day in the life of your church. I'm not here for my purposes, but for yours, to try to help you reach the goals that you have set, to do what you see God is calling you to do in the days that are ahead. And uh, we're going to be looking uh, at some scripture, we're going to be looking at some history, we're going to be looking at some opportunities and so forth as we talk about our mission to the world and your faith promise giving for the coming year. And in the Church of the Nazarene, you've seen these words up there just a few moments ago, praying, discipling, giving, and educating. And we're all involved in that process, and we do it together. Uh, and I want to help us understand why we do what we do and how we do what we do and the impact of that around the world. But I want us to begin in Scripture. It's the last passage in the last chapter of Matthew. Matthew chapter 28, verses 18 to 20. These are the last words of Jesus to his disciples before he leaves them with his task. And listen to what he says. All authority in heaven on earth has been given to me. Therefore, go and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit, teaching them to obey everything I have commanded you. And surely I am with you always to the end of the age. That's the task that God gave those disciples. It's the task he gave the church. We are part of the church. That's our task. That commission is to every one of us. And that commission has a number of facets in there that when we read through it, we might not process as well as we ought. Uh, first of all, I want you to notice that this passage emphasizes the twin tasks of God's kingdom. The first task is evangelism. Evangelism is that line, making disciples, gathering people who also will be committed to Jesus Christ, who will listen to God. And when we have made disciples, there's a way that we acknowledge that, celebrate that, and that's by baptism. That's the sign that this person has become a disciple of Jesus Christ. But there's another task of the church, and that task is education. Teach them, he says, baptizing them in the Father, Son, and the Holy Spirit, and teaching them about every... No. Teaching them to obey everything I have commanded you. And the mark of education is obedience. That's transformational. That is that the disciples not just done something with their head and their mind, but this disciple has committed themselves to becoming like Jesus Christ. And so in that one, oh, Dr. Stephen Neese, who used to be president of MVNU, said they are the twin tasks of the church. Evangelism and education, they're not in competition. They are the two main tasks of the church the two arms of the church. Another person said they're the two legs on which the church stands. But hold those images in your mind. But this passage also tells us about the scope of the assignment. It is all nations, all people, everybody. We're not done when we've done it with our family or talked about it with our congregation. We're not done until 
all the world has become disciples of Jesus Christ. And there's no time limit on that. Till the end of the age, we're never done with a task. This passage also talks about our authority. It's Christ's position as the Son of God. All authority has been given to me, he said. Now I am passing that authority on to you. Or with my authority, I am deputizing you to go do the work of the kingdom. So it's, it comes out of his position as the Son of God. And it also empowers us because he is the one who enables the work that we will be doing. Surely, he said, I am with you always to the very end of the age or the end of time. The book of Acts says it in similar words. But you will receive power when the Holy Spirit comes on you, and you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem and in Judea and Samaria and to the ends of the earth. That's pretty all-encompassing. We can't do that alone. We can only do that how? Together. And, and in the Church of the Nazarene, we've got a long history of that. We had missionaries before we were organized as a church, actually. Um, there are some people I've met who... Missions to them is that, well, yeah, our church does missions. We, my, Mary's nephew is a missionary somewhere, and, and we send him $100 a month from our church, and that's how we do missions. We do it a little differently in the church than Nazarene. We do it with an integrated, coordinated system because we know we can do more together than we can do separately or individually. We do it through the World Evangelism Fund, and we give regularly to that here, and that goes to Kansas City, and that goes to the world. We do it through Faith Promise. And what does that accomplish? Instead of just, you know, we're helping Aunt Mary's nephew. Is that what I said? Something like that. Um, instead of that, here's where we are doing missions this morning, where you are doing missions right now. I mean, in this moment you are. It's going to take a while. I have to cut out the third illustration, I guess. Uh, those are places you can't talk about because people might die if you did. I can't even spell some of those places or pronounce them, and I don't know where some of them are. You feel like that? You try to read them all? I'm not wasting time. We need to see that scroll. Oh, United States. That too. 162, latest count. 162 nations or world areas where the Church of the Nazarene is holding services right now because of what? you have done over the years to make that system work. And those people in those countries give to that same World Evangelism Fund, sometimes far more sacrificially than we do, because they know what it has done for them. 162. I, I was told a while ago, so I haven't checked. I tried to get online this week and find out for sure, but I couldn't. Uh, more places than McDonald's is. 
the church I go to is spreading the bread of life in more countries than Mary McDonald's is selling hamburgers. I'm thankful for that. I want to be involved in that. And here, again, the, the latest figures I can get were from this last year. Uh, so I should say, uh, it says 2015, but it's really the 16 numbers. 700 missionaries from 50 world areas showing the Jesus film with 710 teens who have shown it to over a million people with almost, uh, 3 million people with almost 23,000 accepting Christ. 79% of those people have been in follow-up. Ministry in 148 languages and dialects. 601 work and witness teams last year with no, over 9,000 participants doing over 350 years of labor and raising $2.14 million and radio programs in 140 languages, 72 countries, 36 uh, regional areas of the world. I'm sorry, 140 programs, 72 countries, 34 languages. I don't think I read that quite clearly. We've had volunteers out. And last year, uh, there were, they were in 66 areas of the world, youth in mission, tent makers, and so forth, with 9,000 493 people involved. And the two largest districts in the world are East, no, North, North, Ohio, no. Bangladesh North with 70,222 members. And India East with 4,895 uh, 4, members. And there's stuff going on in creative access areas that we can't all report and talk about in public, but that would enhance some of those figures. We have over 50 colleges and universities around the world with over 50,000 students. We sent nutritional assistance to over 79 countries last year. $9.19 million in disaster relief. 12,780 child sponsorships, 41,000, uh, 41 million, no, I was right first, 41 million, but I, why did it, four, six, seven, eight after that? Anyway, a whole bunch of crisis care kits. <laughs> you didn't pack them all. I don't know what's wrong with that. 7,200 school packs, alabaster offerings to build buildings and buy property, uh, we last year 2.46 million since 1949 when we started that over a hundred million dollars been in those little boxes that you have on your dresser US churches gave 26.36 million in approved specials that's beyond the general budget stuff and the total raised for the world evangelism fund was in excess of 38 million dollars can't do that alone but it's remarkable what we can do together these figures are, or these next three statements are um, from a few years ago. I've tried to follow it up, but I have not been able to. But as of that time, the Church of the Nazarene, this was from the mission handbook from Wheaton College. This is not us talking about us. The Church of the Nazarene was third among all denominations in the number of short-term memories, um, missionaries. That is, take all the Christian churches in the world, and we were number three. And we're not that big a denomination. We were number seven 
in the number of missionaries sent. And I'm not clicking. You may have to help me if that doesn't work. Third in the world with a presence in world areas. Only three, uh, only two other denominations have missionaries in more places than we do. It's amazing what God can do when we do it together. And you've been doing that. And that's your report card with the rest of us. Janice and I, a few years ago, were in Fiji. We were there when they were celebrating one of their big festivals. Fourth of July multiplied by, I mean, there were firecrackers and stuff going off everywhere. A big time of celebration. And, and uh, it was during that time that Janice was doing some shopping, went into a store to, to find something. And when she went in, uh, she saw these leaves, mango leaves, hung over the door of the store. And those are not mango leaves, but it's close enough, and you don't know the difference, and I don't. So anyway, uh, mango leaves over the store. And, and she went in and got talking with the, the lady and said, well, uh, are, are, I saw the leaves when I came in. Is that part of the decorations you do for this holiday of Loic of... Um, forget what the name of that holiday was, but uh, of this big holiday. She said, no, 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 no. We hang those leaves there to keep the sin out. Now, she may have meant evil influences or something. I don't know exactly what she meant. They didn't discuss it further, but we put them there to keep the sin out. In that same time period, we were in uh, Thailand. And in Thailand... This festival was Loi Kratong. Uh, there's a lot about that festival, and, and it was exciting to be there and to observe it, and it was colorful and musical and all kinds of things going on. Uh, but part of it, the, uh, part of it was that they had one day where they sent up hot air balloons. Kids were making them, you know, and, and putting helium in them. They'd tie things on them and send them, and who, Whoever decorated there is the prettiest. They got it up first, or whose balloon went the highest. You know, all this competition among the kids. Having this fun with hot air balloons. But, but, and it was, it was at night, and they were lighted. They had candles hanging underneath. You know, and, and they'd carry those candles up into the air, and it was just a beautiful thing to experience. And we asked them, what are they doing at the part of the, oh, be, before you send up the hot air balloon, you take a piece of paper. Now, these are pagans we're talking about. They, they, they really don't believe there's a God. It's an atheistic, generally, country. But in case there is a God, they write all their sins on a piece of paper and tie it on the balloon so that the balloon will carry their sins away. And if there is a God, maybe he'll find their balloon and know that they're sorry. But it takes more than hot air balloons to solve the sin problem. Another thing they do is they make little rafts, maybe like this, you know, a piece of foam stuff or something, and they decorate it. They put flowers on it. They put um, uh, a candle from the, from the uh, temple and light the candle. Uh, they put all kinds of little stuff on they, they cut fingernail clippings. They cut their fingernails and put the clippings on the raft. So it'll carry their, you know, it, this is their raft. And, and, then, and they go down to the water and they slide it into the river 
and, and you do it with your friends. And if you're a guy and a girl and you really love each other and you, maybe you're thinking about marriage, if the, if the same current gets both of your rafts and they go side by side down the river, that's a good omen for your wedding. But before they push the raft out into the current, they may be small, it may be as large, almost, well, not quite as large as the piano, but, you know, the big ones and little individual ones. And we would watch them put them into the river. And somebody said, do you see that they pause? Yeah. Before they push it out, they pronounce their sins over that raft and send it down the river to carry their sins away. So that maybe if there is a God, he'll find it at the edge of the ocean somewhere far away and know that they're sorry for their sins, but it takes more than hot air balloons and it takes more than flowered grass to deal with the sin problem. Northern Thailand. Fellows traveling through up there went into a village. Usually it's the chief or the witch doctor that will host you if you come into the building, into the village. And in this case, it was the witch doctor because the chief was busy and, uh, or away or something. Uh, the bishop, the, the uh, witch doctor's name was Jasul. And this guy stayed with Jasul and, and this guy was help, and was helpful to him and, and he had a view master. Th this missionary guy did. Now, we're talking primitive backwoods, nothing up there. No electricity. Go everywhere. All they have is flashlights. That's the most high-tech thing we saw up in those mountain provinces. Uh, so they can get up the mountain at night and get home. And, and this missionary had this view master. You remember him? I have one in a bag there somewhere, but you, you can just look at that one. You know, you... And he gave it to this guy. It was the highest tech entertainment he'd ever seen. He had all these pictures. He goes, oh, wow, look at this. The switch doctor. And he's clicking away. And he stopped. He said, there are two men in here dressed in white. I had a dream three weeks ago. Those two men were in my dream. It was Abraham, or it was... Uh, Moses and Elijah or something with Jesus on the Mount of Transfiguration, something like that. Those two men were in my dream. They said that somebody would come to my village to tell me about Creator God. We're atheists. We don't know God, but we know there must be a Creator somewhere. We don't know how to reach Him. We don't know what His name is. We don't. You must be the man because you've got them in this box. So you must tell me about Creator God. And he did, and Jesul became a Christian and a Nazarene pastor. And as Janice and I were teaching courses that week, the guy back there, that's Jesul, the witch doctor, waiting for... You see, there are people out there everywhere who don't have the answer. We spent a number of years in the Philippines, Holy Week, pilgrims, flagellantes, people dragging crosses, walking for miles to atone for the sins of the last year. People building, beating their backs till they flowed with blood. It was awful hard to see that. Blood flowing down their backs to pay for the sins they've committed in the last year. Some of them even having themselves nailed to crosses where they will hang for a few minutes to pay for the sins of the last year. One of those pictures 
is of a woman being crucified. It happened just a mile from the seminary where we served. Didn't see it, thankfully. You see, we don't send missionaries to other places for no reason or for our purposes. Because we've got the news that you don't have to do that. That Jesus suffered outside the city gate to make the people holy through his own blood. We don't send missionaries to other countries because people don't know they're sinners, but because they already do and they don't know what to do about it. And they do everything up to and including having themselves crucified. We read in Romans, everyone who calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. How can they then call on the one they have not believed in? How can they believe in the one to whom they have, of whom they have not heard? How can they hear without someone preaching to them? How can they preach unless they are sent? As it, the sending thing, how about that? How beautiful are the feet of those who bring the good news. You see, it's not just those that go that are part of the missionary thing. It's those who send who are part of the missionary thing. That means we all have a place in the harvest by being informed, by praying, by sending, by going, supporting, giving, so that we reach Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria, and the ends of the earth. And it's exciting to be a part of that. We must realize that where there is sacrifice, there's a little gift. Do you need a cough drop? I have one here in my pocket. I got cough drops off here. That, that doesn't hurt. You know what I'm saying? That's no great gift. The gifts that are hard to give are the ones that cost something. And that's the greater gift. It takes more love to give that gift. Back in the Old Testament, David was going to give a gift, a sacrifice to God. And the king said, I'll give you all the stuff you need for it. <laughs> and he said, no, you can't do that. I can't present offerings to the Lord my God that have cost me nothing. It's got to cost something when I give it to God. So that leads me to say that building God's church is not a matter of what we will do with the stuff we want to get rid of. Now, I've come to churches like this. I was here some years ago. I've asked for extra Sunday school material and pictures we can take back or you've got some rags and kind of make the bandages, you know, for the hospital or whatever. Yeah, but building God's church is not a matter of what we will do with the stuff we want to get rid of. Again, I'm grateful for the stuff that you want to get rid of that we've used. Understood that? But it's more than that. It's a matter of what we will do with the stuff we want to hold on to. What we will do with ourselves. What we will do with our souls. What we will do with our children. I heard about one man who said, God can have anything I've got except my kids. He's not going to send my kids, this missionary, to someplace on the other side of the world where I can't see my grandkids. Oh, well, there's the test of our love for God. The things that cost the most. And we must never go there 
because of the romance of it. Wouldn't you like to go to see some of those places? That'd be fun. I'll be a missionary. And we must never, so we must never go there because of the romance of it. We must never stay here because of the convenience of it. We must answer God's call when he calls. On the campus of the seminary in Manila, we had a water tank. We had a water system, which was great. Water was a problem in the Philippines, but we had a great water tank um, at the top of the campus, big one. At the top of the tank was a water tank, and, and the water flowed down. You could use it for ironing. You could use it to grow some little vegetables or things that you wanted because families lived there on the campus and so forth. You could use it to wash your hands. You could use it to uh, cook with. You could use it to do your laundry with and all that kind of thing. Uh, from that wa all from that water tank, and, and it was pure water. And a lot of places you didn't dare drink the water. But we had water. And you know how much water that water tank produced? Nothing. All of the water was from a well at the bottom of the campus. And we had to go down like 40, 400 feet to get water. We were pumping it from about 200 feet up to fill up the tank at the top of the campus. And once we got it up into that tank, then it could flow to everybody to use. But the water was in the well, not in the tank. Kansas City, for you loyal Nazarenes, the headquarters of the Church of the Nazarene is not the well. We've got all those missionaries out there. That is not produced from Kansas City. Kansas City's the tank. And every church around the world puts money in the tank. And when we fill the tank, that money can flow anywhere in the world it's needed to accomplish what God wants to accomplish. You see, the only money God has is in your pockets. And the only future missionaries are in the classrooms where Janice is with your kids. And we, we are the ones, that is, local congregations are the ones that see that all of this happens. Let me try to say that to you another way. You go to work somewhere, and you give your time and your energy to accomplish a task. You know what I'm saying? In exchange for your work, you get money. And you take some of that money, and you give it to the church as part of your faith promise. Your church sends it to Kansas City. And, and they send it to another country where some guy takes that money goes down to the local market, eats, buys food, eats it, and goes to church on Sunday and preaches to his congregation with his energy or with your energy. You see, money is the way you can transport your energy to another part of the world and put it to work for God's work. So if you pledge $10 a week and you make 10 bucks an hour, to faith promise, you can go to work and say, hey, this first hour, I'm not working for me. I'm working for that mission stuff over there. Or multiply that by 100 or, you know, whatever will work for you. Was 10 times 100 be good for individual pledges today? You got the idea? It's our energy that those missionaries are using.
And it's like a, a Star Wars, you know, beep it up, uh, beam it up and whip it over and beam it down again to get this from there to there. That's what faith promise is about. Taking your energy, your interest, your concern, your love for God, and empowering what happens in places, in languages you can't speak, in places you've never been and never will be, to people you do not know. And I think that's a beautiful image of the way God wants to use us and our energy. James Johnson. And I've got to hurry. James Johnson was a missionary in Samoa. A wonderful family. Loved to be with them. Uh, all blonde-headed, fair-skinned kids uh, in this dark-complected country. We were in the house, and one of the kids was sick, and the other brothers and sisters just came to help and read stories and be with him. And when it came time to eat, the kids just automatically went to the kitchen to help with the food and went to clean up afterwards and you know, have their devotions with them. And so it was just lovely being with them and their family. And uh, they told us a story. Uh, they had a new neighbor. I don't know who moved, but there was a new neighbor. And... and they decided that they would go over to the plate of cookies and meet this new neighbor. And from what I observed in the home, probably the kids helped make the cookies and went with their dad when he went next door to say hi to this new neighbor that moved in or vice versa. The guy's name was Luinga Faumui. Because of that contact, Luinga Faumui became a Christian and a member of the Church of the Nazarene. And James said to me, James, the, the missionary, said to me, uh, he came to me one day, and he said something, and I gave him an answer I, I never believed I would give to a person. He said to me, I think God wants me to give up my job and become a pastor here in Samoa. And I said to him, I don't think that's God's will for you. He said, I never thought I would say that to somebody. But I said it to him. His job was that he was in charge of relief, relief projects for the United Nations. He said, I think God could use you <laughs> where you are. And Leona Faumui listened to him and remained a servant of the United Nations and at the same time a servant of God. And they sent him, the United Nations, to Bangladesh. And Leona Faumui looked around and he said, there's no Nazarene church in Bangladesh. Somebody ought to do something. So he started a church in Bangladesh took one of the converts and trained him, and he became a pastor. What did I say a while ago? The biggest district in the Church of the Nazarene is where? Bangladesh. Started by a guy the UN sent there who was a loyal Nazarene, took the opportunity to plant the church. And, and, and he went from there. They, they sent him somewhere else. They sent him to, uh, by the way, in Bangladesh, we now have three districts and over 100, close to 150,000 members, something like that. All from a plate of cookies. If God can do that with a plate of cookies in Samoa, which is a little island in the middle of the Pacific you can't find on the map unless you know exactly where to look for it. And it's got big enough type that you can read it. If God could take a plate of cookies 
to a neighbor in that little island and do all of that, you can't imagine what God could do if all of us would give all we are.